Great Expectations is part of the Earth 2 network of podcasts. Episode 21, Spider-Woman number 37 and 38, Uncanny X-Men 148 and 149, and Avengers Annual 10. Hey, this is Sean. And this is Jerry. And this is the most recent episode of the Great Expectations Podcast, where we are going to go balls deep into the reread. Yes. In fact, do we should we share with them our new vision for the show? You should. You should. <laughs> well, after a long, soulful conversation oh, last night. In a hot tub. In a hot tub. At the best comic shop in the world back to the past comics in redford michigan sean and i decided that the thing we liked best about this show is the chronological reread that we've been doing so we're gonna stick with that and when we have guests on we're gonna bring them on when their story shows up in the reread even if it's 10 years from now even if it's 10 years from now so if you guys are fans of chuck austin Hopefully the show will be gone by then. No. Because we're never getting to you. Oh, we're getting to it. <laughs> but should we should we cement this that this is true? Because there might be something that pops up that's so good that we have to do it. Well, ultimately, it's our show, right? And we can do whatever we yeah. want. Fuck you guys. <laughs> no. Sorry. No. No. They hate that. I know. But I think... Uh, I'm kidding. That it was only directed at one person. Yeah, you and know who you are. knows who it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but for the most part, I think we're in agreement. We're just gonna yeah. stay chronological, at least for the time being. And, and I, I want to just excited to get to the new mutants. Excited to get to Paul Smith. Yeah. I mean, there's so much good shit coming up. We don't want to be distracted by Legion Quest. Fuck you! <laughs> you did that on purpose. <laughs> I'm super excited about Legion Quest, you motherfucker. <laughs> you did tell me Jerry, yesterday Jerry about your original page from Legion Quest. Yeah. I stored that. Speaking of Jerry being a motherfucker, another thing that happened last night was Jerry, for the first time ever, made me log into the GX Pod Twitter account. Hells yeah. I have not tweeted from the account yet. That was all Jerry. However, I did like him shit-talking me in the messages. Would you care to comment, Jerry? <laughs> I don't remember. There were a couple. I thought of I deleted all. I went back and I was like, "Look at that guy throwing me under the bus." Did I? There were a few where he's been saving this. I, I have been. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I like saw him this morning when I when I should have been working. I was like, "Look at that conversation." I feel really hot in the face right now. Um, I believe it was. You weren't talking shit about me first. It was a listener who was talking shit about me at first, oh. and you responded, but not in a "I'm going to defend my boy" type of thing. <laughs> you no, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, he needs to work on that. And did you? No, I still digress and start <laughs> talking about the X Men all the time. You can't help it. I was no, this way. you are better. This is my derailing. Intelligent conversations with inane, useless bullshit 
is my mutant power. Well, I would say that our listeners, for the most part, except for the one person who made the comment, and I think I know who you're talking about. <laughs> uh, I think they've responded to it. Oh, they, they they responded to it and they said that they actually did enjoy it. So I wasn't yes. really offended. But That's I did right. I did want to make you turn as beet red as Jerry McBrown does in the, car, oh. in the cartoon. And how did I, I do? You did you you definitely uh, you were perspiring. Cheers. <laughs> I don't moment, hide things, Sean. Because for a moment there you were like, What the fuck did I say? Like you were like every and I know there was probably something really like dark. Like, well, I've never deleted anything. If he quits so the show it. again <laughs> for the twenty-first time, because I just want you guys to know that I like to give Jerry palpitations, and after every episode, I'm like, I think that was a high note for me to end. <laughs> I don't actually do that. It really. Now right. that we're, I'm trying to make it five minutes of us not talking about the X Men. All right. So in this part of the reread, eight seconds left. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. In the part of the reread that we're at right now, we are going to talk about. Spider-Woman 37 and 38. Because we're that good with the reread, but this is the first appearance of Siren. And it ties into some Uncanny X-Men issues that we will talk about in a few minutes. So we are on target chronologically. Yes. And you know what that means? It is time for Previously on the X-Men. Previously on X-Men. Cyclops has left the team. He's hooked up with his boss, which is always a good idea. The the hottie known as Lee Forrester. The two of them are have a run-in with despair and are saved by the man-thing. Does Scott Summers hate brunettes? Uh, he seems to. It's, he all, seems it's to. all redheads and blondes and, and purple fantasies. Who's the purple fantasy? He, um, in the Jim Lee early X-Men issues, oh, that's why I wouldn't know. he was like, you didn't read the Chris Claremont Jim Lee shit? I, I, like, 20 years ago. You are the worst. Um, he is having, like, fantasies about Psylocke. Ooh! Yeah, and she's totally egging it on. Like, she, like... She's naughty. She can't decide what she wants. She's throwing it out there. But I guess... If you're around guys for 20 years, you probably run through them all. She you probably, know, she's not married. She probably she's living that it up. Okay, if you want me Literally to. One... I've had two beers now. I don't know what I'm doing. So. I said so. You did. Meanwhile, the that's X-Men. The, that's the new, the new GX pod drinking game is for you to take a shot every time Jerry says so and every time I derail anything. That won't stay in the show. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the X-Men were having a run-in with Doctor Doom and Arcade. And they whooped that ass. But in the end, they all left friends. And that's where we are now. Yeah, that was a really weird ending to an issue when everybody was just like, we're all backing away. Let's be cool. You be cool, I'll be cool. We'll be like three Fonzes. And what's the Fonz? Cool. The next story, like you said, is, believe it or not, a Spider-Woman story. A two-parter. Issues 37 and 38 from 1981. These are written by Chris Claremont, a guy who is familiar with the X-Men, and drawn, penciled by Steve Lealoa, 
who has done a lot of inking work on X-Men books nice. to come. Uh, you'll see his work again. And I could swear he penciled an annual, but I couldn't remember which one. I might be making that up. We'll get to it. We will get to it. You will see inking work from Terry Austin, Bob Wyacek, and several others. Letters from Tom Warzakowski. Danny O'Neill is the editor on this book, and I, for some reason, thought he had departed for DC at this point, so I was surprised to see his name. But he is the very famous Batman writer, I guess you when, call him. When you writer. were a when you were a kid, did you uh, did you pay attention to that type of stuff? No, no, no. Okay, I don't think we talked about that before, right? But no, I had. I mean, I knew who Chris Claremont was. It's twenty-one episodes ago. Man. But <laughs> it was last episode, Sean. I think I knew who Chris Claremont was, but I had no idea until you know maybe a few years ago that he wrote any Spider-Woman issues or that he ever wrote Miss Marvel or... Yeah. You know, I, I, did, I had no idea. If I had known that he wrote Marvel Team-Up, I would have been a Marvel Team-Up guy, but I, I never was. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, I didn't have the money to buy that book, so that was one that got cut. So, no, I wasn't following creators. I was an X-Men fan. So I was buying X-Men books. As and you should. And in 1981, let's face it, we were both too young to be buying books on our own anyway. I was not born when this issue came out. That's exactly right. So, um, this is a pretty sweet story. What we've got here, you get, in the very beginning, uh, Spider-Woman sneaks in to Nick Fury's office at S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters. And, uh, gives you a brief rundown of her origin, where she was, uh, raised by the High Evolutionary, um, in Wondagore Mountain, and she finally leaves, and, uh, falls in love with a guy, accidentally kills him when she manifests her Venom Blast for the first time, joins Hydra, finally switches teams, joins S.H.I.E.L.D., and then decides She's going to go visit Nick Fury and ask him to sign off on paperwork so that she be- can become a private investigator in San Francisco. And that's where we find ourselves. It's pretty awesome that you get that whole recap in two pages. Yeah, I mean, well, you don't need a miniseries to tell all that. Right. But you get one. You get one. Well, when did that come out? Maybe five years ago? Six years ago? It's longer than that. It's got to be. The Bendis and... Uh... Nope. The uh, Luna Brothers. It's worth reading, but um, you get the same thing here. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, um, a bunch of piddling shit happens. It's probably not important. She has a, a run-in with Morgan Le Fay, and she almost crashes into a tree. It's horrible. But um, should we just assume everybody's familiar with Spider-Woman? I would hope so. I mean, she's been involved with the Avengers for the last lot of years. Since yeah. Bendis was writing the book. But, um. If you're not familiar with Spider-Woman, you should buy Spider-Woman number 37 because it does a pretty good great recap in the first two pages. And then you get a sweet X-Men story. And you can probably find it pretty inexpensively, I would think. I did. I had to track these two issues down. That's how dedicated I am to the podcast. Good job, Sean. I mean, don't spill your pop all over yourself about it, but <laughs> good job. <laughs> so for those not familiar, Something that that I came across that really surprised me is that Spider-Woman has super strength. I had no idea. She is stronger than Captain America. Did you know that, Sean? 
I didn't know that. I didn't either. Apparently, she has the ability to press seven tons, which is a lot. She has these cool venom blasts, which she jets this bioelectricity, and she can shoot them at people and makes cool green light effect. That's got to be fun to draw in color. Um, and she secretes pheromones that make you attracted to her and more willing to do what she wants. Along with derailing conversations, that's my other power. Yeah, it is. Look at you. I'm feeling the pheromones. You're getting all hot and bothered again. It's just because you embarrass me in front of all of our listeners. How so? Oh. <laughs> so she also has superhuman speed, stamina, agility, reflexes, and resistance to injury, which is really important as we're going to find out at the end of this issue. That resistance to injury comes into play in a big way. Because in this issue, we see the X-Men's old nemesis, Black Tom Cassidy, and the Juggernaut. Horribly underused characters, in my opinion. I agree. I Especially think, Juggernaut. Like. Yeah. Oh, every time I try to make him a good guy, I'm just like, stop it. I will admit that when I, when that happened, I was kind of excited about it because I knew it meant that there'd be more Juggernaut and, and I was like, he'd be a really awesome superhero because he's unstoppable. But that's not an interesting superhero. Right. It's an interesting villain. And I'm glad that, that he stopped being a hero. But, the cost of that is that he's now completely missing. And that yeah, sucks. It does. Like when Colossus became the Juggernaut 2. Worst thing ever. Oh my god. Thanks. Kieran Gillen? Yes. Thanks, Kieran Gillen. Thanks a lot. <laughs> that was, I mean, he's Colossus. He doesn't need to be the Juggernaut. Yeah, that's terrible. How many times are we gonna turn Colossus into a bad guy in one decade? We're at two. We're at two now. Phoenix, Juggernaut. And we had the Acolyte before. Three In times. I don't like it. So, Maybe the, the guy aside. least likely to be a villain becomes a villain three times? I don't think so. So they've come to town, San Francisco, where Jessica Drew makes her home, uh, because that's where the San Francisco Mint is, Sean, and they're going to rob the shit out of it. And uh, they have a go at it, and uh, meanwhile, Jessica's having... A surprise housewarming party. And she meets this swell guy. Her landlord, whose name is... David, David Ishima. A handsome young Japanese-American man. Uh, who she hits it off with so quickly, your head would spin. I'm kind of pissed I never got to go to parties like this. Because <laughs> they're making out like three panels after she meets him. That's Jessica Drew. She's something. You didn't go to parties like this? Okay, let's not talk about it anymore. <laughs> I wasn't in a band, Sean. I'm sorry. Three panels is three too many. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, except for KG, they don't let guys like me rock. <laughs> in, in the world of music, that's my closest association. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> so she's at this party, and suddenly she gets this splitting headache, and she realizes it's from some, like, high-frequency noise. She decides to follow it, and she finds this tunnel in the ground, and it's Black Tom Cassidy breaking into the bank. 
She bomb rushes him and lays him out. What are you cracking up about? <laughs> Sit forward. The fact that when she gets the the headache, the look on your face was like, this shit happens to me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, David. I have to leave. I have a headache. That's the parties I went to. <laughs> yeah, that that looks familiar now. If you would if you had read this issue back then, you would have been like, maybe there's some mutant out there with a sonic screen. Fucking up my jam. Yeah. Would have helped the confidence a little bit if you had, could have been blaming it on a filthy mutant. Jerry wants love. Jerry needs love. That's all I want, man. That's all I want. And the X-Men. So Jessica, uh, lays out Black Tom. No fight at all. She's feeling pretty good about things. She thinks he might be the only one there, but she quickly realizes he wasn't the one making the noise. She comes across Tom's niece, Teresa, who is dressed like and looks an awful lot like Banshee. Right. And has the same power set, with one little addition that we'll see later. Spider-Woman and this Teresa, who calls herself Siren, which might sound familiar to you X-Men fans, um, have a great knockdown drag-out fight. Siren has her powers down. She uses all of them great. She makes like a a sound shield that blocks Spider-Woman's Venom Blast. And they're pretty evenly matched. But Spider-Woman finally starts getting the best of her. And then the Juggernaut shows up. And uh she does her best to slow him down. Spider-Woman's pretty talented, but Juggernaut's a whole different level. Yeah. And um, he's like, hey, man, why don't you just leave? I don't want to have to hurt you. And she presses the issue, and Juggernaut's a fair guy until you push him. And he swats her into a steel wall and leaves a dent in the wall. And Jessica Drew's day is done at that point. They escape. The cops show up. They see a, a busted up mint with Jessica there. And, uh, and they arrest her. End of issue. Yeah. Impressions. I, I actually really, like, it was one of those things where I was like, I didn't know, um, how much I'd dig it, but it was actually much more, I was way more into it than I thought I originally would be. Yeah, me too. I think neither one of us have read these before, right? No. I bought the entire run at an auction at Back to the Past, probably five years ago, and I still haven't gotten around to reading them. So this is my first exposure to that volume one of Spider-Woman. And I don't know if this is representative of the entire run, but this issue was really good. Yeah. No, and honestly, like, seriously, I think because of her, whatever, obviously, like, I don't know what happened in issue number 36, but whatever causes her to go out to San Francisco, this was a perfect jumping on point, which is probably, like... Why they had the X-Men, like maybe, a, you know. Yeah. Here's the perfect jumping on point for a Spider-Woman story. And it also stars the bread and butter mm-hmm. at that time, which should mm-hmm. still be happening today. And I think I think this run goes into the six, like issue 60 maybe. So there's a good chunk after this. Yeah. Um, no, these two issues, like if it's representative of that run, you got a deal, buddy. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm definitely interested in reading more. 
Um, Too bad you're not going to be able to, because I got you locked up with X-Men issues for the next ten years. <laughs> I know. That's the other yeah. announcement Jerry and I are going to make. We're no longer reading new comics, because we don't have any time. Right. I'm kidding. That's It's kind of true. I, I think last time we talked, I was freaking out because um, I'd never fallen a month behind in my reading, and I hit that point. I still haven't gotten into that month's comics yet. And the next box has already showed up. So now I'm two months behind. I think that in that moment, you need to take a good hard look at what's just sitting there. No, it's I, I definitely have. And I think I've cut my orders in half from what they were two years ago. But I think there's probably still more cutting to to do. It's tough though because there are so many good books out there right yeah. now. You know, yeah. it's a it's a good time for comics. There's lots of great stuff to read, and I mean, I don't just read X Men. You don't just read X Men. It's your, it's our favorite, right? But um, it's hard to make those cuts. And the, on the in the eleven o'clock comics forum, everybody talks about their Regina pile, which is the books that they haven't read yet, yeah. and how big that pile is because everybody seems to be an accumulator and I never had that problem before. I, I didn't either. Um, but I do now. And it's dozens of graphic novels, you know, hundreds of issues. <laughs> it's a big hairy mess. I don't like it. I mean, I'm not a big fan of it either, but I mean, I've got it a little bit more under control than that. I might like lag on a few books into the next week, but I'm, you know, yeah, I've cut some stuff too because I, I, you know, I started to realize that it. Yeah, I do think it's sort of around the time of the Days of Future Past movie came out, where I just, I really do think that like my heart fucking lies with the X Men, and that when I got into, um, because I only really got into um, the team we don't speak of when Bendis was writing it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I read issues here and there. You know, I mean, right. it's not like I was unfamiliar with the characters, but uh. I think it was because the quality of the X-Men books at that point was so bad. It was. You're right. And it's so, it's getting so much better now that I kind of, I've noticed like, you know, I'm one of those people who on Wednesday, like when I go home and put my books in bags and boards, like I put them in the spot where I read and everything's like, I'm one of those people who reads the stuff I'm most excited for first. I have yeah. no patience because I know a lot right. of people who like, no. Save the best. They're crazy. Rest. I can't do that. Can't do it either. And what wound up happening is the stuff that's kind of there the following week mm-hmm. is the stuff that I start to take a look at and go, yep. maybe I should cut this. And what I noticed is, you know, a few years ago, it was like a tough call whether or not, you know. There were moments, there were certain books, you know, Peter David's X Factor would always, like, rise to the top. We've um, talked about that at the shop a bunch of times. Yeah. About, and Scratch and I had talked about how it would... It was on the chopping block until you got to it and read it. And then you were like, I'm buying this next month. And then you buy it and it'd be at the bottom of the stack and you'd be like, I'm probably going to cut this. And then I'd read it and I wanted it again. The only time I ever floundered with X-Factor was um, during the Secret Invasion storyline. When they tied into that, it was pretty bad. I don't remember that. Larry Stroman came back on art and it wasn't what it was before. It was kind of a little bit phoned in, and, and the book lost a little, well, I mean, we're totally digressed, we're talking about X-Factor. Um, That's the next book? True. Uh, it kind of, like, lost a little bit of its momentum because of that, and 
if I remember correctly from that time period, I do believe that Peter David might have made a tiny little stink about his book getting dragged down by events. Oh. And so I think they left it alone after that. Oh, okay. Because, like, when it tied the into, like... The whole point of that book was that it was separate from everything. Right. But, I mean, when it tied into... I mean, it has one of my favorite things that came out of it because I grew up in the 90s was, like, when it did tie into... Like, when it tied into an X-Event, yes. Secret Evasion, not so much. Okay. Oh, good. So, um, when it tied into the Secret Evasion thing, like, that just wasn't the right fit. But when it tied into Messiah Complex, the thing that I really loved was, uh, Jamie getting the tattoo. I wonder... I wonder if I never read those issues. They were really good. That was 2008, right? Early 2008. I think so. You know what happened in late 2007? Did you have a kid? I had Chloe. Okay. And for six months, I didn't buy a single comic. There you go, and kids. Don't have kids. <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah. Uh, that was a tough time, man. There's I was some sad. Really good stuff coming out then. Yeah, and I, I went back and bought it all, but I'm, I'm realizing now I didn't read it all. Dude, Messiah Complex was so fucking good. I know that I read Messiah Complex, but I don't think I read the X Factor issues. But dude, after that, you get, like, it, Peter David had this underlying, like, B storyline that was going through X Factor the whole time that was the Summer's Rebellion. Like, you finally saw that. He brought Trevor Fitzroy back, which was a character that I loved when I was a kid because I thought the toy was cool. Uh-huh. And, like, made him really cool. And you saw, like, there were more future versions of Summer's people. You know, Ruby Summers was a character. Yeah. Okay, well, that I, I remember that stuff. Doom was there, right? Yeah. Yeah, I remember And I think Layla was, like, there with Doom, if I remember correctly. Uh-huh. Like, and that's, is bit. that when he got his tattoo? Because they went to the future. He went to the future of Messiah Complex, and it's when he got branded. Because he was I did in camps it. with, like, okay. a younger bishop. They were, like, looking for him or whatever, I think. Okay. Yeah, I read that. It's a little hazy. Yeah. Because, like, I was out of comics for a little bit when, like... I was gone, and so uh, I came back right around Civil War. And, and so, so that's when I started reading everything along with the X-Men books. And so uh, that to give me, like, a to do a timetable of that time period is really tough, because I was seriously, like, spending hundreds of dollars a week in a comic book store. Like, I had so much disposable income, it makes my head hurt right now <laughs> when I think about it. Because yeah. it was just like, I'd... I remember at the comic book store that I was going to at the time, because I wasn't going to my current shop, the guy one time was like, what do you do for a living? Because this is insane. (laughs) (sighs) Good times. Yeah. Well, it was a good era for Marvel Comics. There was a lot of stuff. You know, it's weird, though. Um, A lot of the stuff that I really loved back then, I look back on now, and I'm like, I kind of hate that now. Like the the Brubaker run on X-Men, as we were reading it, I really liked it. And I look back on it now, I still like the cosmic stuff. When See, they... I was about to say, Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire I thought was a blast, but yeah. here's the thing. I wasn't reading comics monthly. If I had been reading comics monthly, that was like a 12-part story. I would yeah. have wanted to murder someone. Because <laughs> that's my whole problem with, like, trade. I was talking to Pavel about that the other day. Like, trades are great, but at the same time, it's like, I now know that if there's a storyline that doesn't really fit my fancy... I've got to wait six months. Like, mm-hmm. it's... That's kind of a bummer. Like, I miss... Like... Hey, we got the X-Men and two issues of Spider-Woman. Yeah. Like, there's not as much of that anymore. 
And that's kind of a bummer. Oh, Guardians of the Galaxy, issue one. You got uh, two seconds of Kitty Pride. Legend, legendary Star-Lord. Legendary no. Star-Lord. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Okay, digression over. Yeah. Previously on Spider-Hole. <laughs> <laughs> Issue 38 of Spider-Woman. We pick up where we left off in 37. That cliffhanger ending where uh, Spider-Woman's being arrested by the San Francisco Police Department. Um, it turns out you don't arrest Spider-Woman. She's like, fuck that, Jack, I'm out of here. <laughs> she just... She, what does she do, blast the ground and run off or something? Oh no, she, she slaps the cuffs on the pigs and she runs off. Now you get a quick recap of the previous issue. Strong art in this issue. Yeah. I mean, it's very Bronze Age, very 80s looking, but um, for a guy of my age, I really dig it. Uh, I don't know what your opinion of it is, but I, I think this is a great looking issue. Oh, no, I really like it. Like, it's one of those things where, like, had I been a kid and read it, I probably wouldn't have been... Good again. I think this would be boring for a kid. Probably. Yeah. Little kid, but I yeah. think. Am I wrong? I, no, because here's Tell the thing. Tell me honestly. I, I, I don't think so because every kid, I mean, there's gotta be, I mean, Spider-Man's cool character. There's gotta be a bunch of kids out there that are like, Jessica Drew's my favorite character. So Jessica is pissed. Right? They not only beat her up, threw her in a steel wall, the party's still going out of her house. <laughs> she gets home. It's like, what are all these people doing in my house? I just got my ass whipped. It's a good thing that I have high resistance to physical damage yeah. and injury. But then uh, some new guests show up, and it is Aurora and Peter. Is that it? Who else? It's, it's oh. Aurora, Peter, and... And Warren Worthington. Yeah. Their socialite connection to the party. He's like, what's up? I know all you people because I'm a fabulous West Coaster and I've got a bunch of money. He schmoozes at the party. Meanwhile, Aurora's like, look, man, we got this this hit on our mutant detector here in San Francisco and we're looking to find out what's going on. And Spider-Woman's like, I know exactly what's going on. I just got my ass beat. Let's go do something about it. I think the only thing that I have a problem with these particular panels, and uh help me out here, Alan... Storm's kind of dressed like the White Queen. That old bitch. She she is, but um, she makes she, it look fly though. She man. does, man. She looks cool as hell. She's got like the the round sunglasses, yeah. and it's working. She's like she walks into this party like she is part White Queen, part Bono, circa the fly. <laughs> Storm, and I am okay with it. I want to know. Storm doesn't strike me as the kind of woman that would go out clothes shopping. But, I mean, I guess we've seen her do it. Right. Like, they're they, they being attacked by Alpha Flight, and she stops to go fucking clothes shopping in Calgary. <laughs> so, I'll just shut up. But, um, like, does she have, like, a shopping assistant that picks all this shit out for no, her? Or does she have the most impeccable style in the Marvel Universe? I think you've got a dueling personality here, right? You've got the goddess who doesn't even need fucking clothes. She's no, like, she wants to be naked. I'm going to fly up in the clouds, strip them all off, get a gentle rain shower. And then you've got, like, the regal part of Storm, who's like, when I do have to be confined by threads, they're going to be fucking sweet. They are. 
Cockrum has a knack for making people look like they're dressed awesomely. Uh, Burn didn't necessarily have that that same sense of style that Cockrum does. And then when Ramita <laughs> when Ramita shows up on the book, you see a whole new. I'm gonna hold 80s, it. I'm gonna hold in thing. that Cockrum fashion sense. Hey, it was cool. We'll get there. It was cool. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> He's taking after Daddy. You're talking about Cyclops. No. Oh my god, that was terrible too. I was talking about Kitty's shit show of an outfit in 148. Well, that's what happens when you let a 13 year old design her own costume. That's all I'm saying. Have you ever, you've never seen Chloe pick out her outfits in the morning. So, uh. Are you stifling your child's creativity, Jerry? No, I let her do it. Then I take pictures of that shit. So you're going to harass her with it yes. years later? Yes, that's what I'm doing. That's a good father. I remember as a kid, my uncle came over, he was like a teenager, um, and a dick, and he came over and he went through our photo album and he pulled out pictures of me in the bathtub, and he like, he put them up in the, like in the curio cabinet up where I couldn't reach them, <laughs> and I was just standing there crying, because <laughs> I couldn't get them out. It was so humiliating. That's amazing. It's awesome. I don't have kids, but I do have nephews and nieces that I fucked with at my mom's funeral. There was a, um. That's the perfect time to do it. There's, oh dude. I was terrible because there's a, um. There's a picture of me. They put me in Superman pajamas when I was a kid. And so I told everyone that that's why she was dead. (laughs) Sean. Sean. Dude, it gets worse. Because my nieces and nephews, they were little. And my sister was about to take them home, like, on one of the days of the viewing. And I looked at my nephew. And I go, you don't want to leave yet. And he goes, why? And I'm like, see that slit in the casket? The magician's going to show up in half an hour and saw her in half. <laughs> and they had to, my family had to get the funeral director to come out and show the kids a video. <laughs> <laughs> I cope through humor, Jerry. Oh my god. Carry on. Uh, you cope by destroying other people's souls. <laughs> it was funny. It was, it is funny. But I wasn't there. So, uh. They take off. They take off. They're gonna get Spider Woman's revenge. They're gonna get a piece of do they have, uh, like, a gang name? They need a team name, even though there's just the pair of them. Black Tom and Juggernaut? Yeah, they should be, like, the terrible twosome or some shit. Loyal GX Pod listeners. You're going to hit me, aren't you? We should come, you guys should, no, I'm trying to figure out a way to get them to come up with a oh, uh, yeah, that's, Tom. A, that's a better idea. Don't <laughs> hit me. We need you to think of the best possible Black Tom Juggernaut duo name. Yeah, it's the Juggernaut, bitch! And hashtag it to us and tweet it at us. And while you're at it, we need a name for the reread that we yeah. can hashtag. And we are completely incapable of coming up with Because we'd like for everyone else to join in. We think it would be a lot more fun if while we're doing this, if you... If you're reading along with us. Alert you what issues are coming up and you can, you know... Exciting news! We decided on a hashtag. We will be using re-examined whenever we're talking about issues we'll be reading for the next episode. Join in! 
And if you've been to be paying attention, fucking hug, man. Yeah, we're gonna beat you over the head with these issues and give you a week's notice to to read them. Yeah, yeah. In the meantime, let's talk about this shit. Yep. So uh, I just I love. I don't know why I just really like Black Tom Cassidy because of the cartoon. Like I think there's something <laughs> there's something cool about the fact that he's related to Banshee. Like you don't have yeah. like you know it's the fact that it's like okay so you, one dude is related to the guy who created the X Men. And then another dude is created, like, is related to someone who was in the X-Men. Mm-hmm. And they both decided to team up because they both think that the other side of the family is a bunch of, Like, I just think that there's a really interesting, like, dynamic. And, and I think that Juggernaut honestly, like, really cares for Black Tom. Oh yeah, man. Those two are tight. And I think that's, like, a really cool, Interesting dynamic. And I like later on, like, years later, which we'll get to, um, in Generation X, when, uh, he, like, almost became, you know how he had the staff to, like, control his, his shillelagh? Like, yeah, I can't remember, but it started to, like, become part of him, and, like, he was, like, a little bit, like, tore up by the, and it was just a cool look. Yeah. Probably wasn't that cool now that it's not the 90s anymore, but at that time I thought it was cool. <laughs> I I like the way that his character characterization is when Claremont's writing him. Like he's not he's not the the silver age supervillain that's just all bad. Yeah. You know, like he's got a moral code and he's uh he's not looking to kill anybody. Right. You know, like is it is it Siren that asks if she should finish off, or maybe Juggernaut asks if they should finish off um, Spider Woman? Maybe in the last issue. Yeah, I don't remember exactly, but he's like, no, we don't we don't need the heat from a murder. We're just trying to rob some shit. Right. And uh, ain't nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Right. 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 But I mean, there there really is a world of difference between a, a, oh, a robbery absolutely. and a murder. So, um, like he's. I think if it came down to to like to him or them, he would kill somebody, but um, he wouldn't do it unnecessarily. And I think it, it makes it makes a more interesting and sympathetic villain. Yeah, I think one of the cool things, like one of the things that I really liked about this time period, is the fact that like you're dealing with a certain group of people that are creating the books, so it's like there's. Like, in the, in the next page, on page 16 of the Spider-Woman comic, like, um, you know, Sp- Spider-Woman's basically getting a little bit messed up by Siren. Like, they're kind of going toe-to-toe in this battle. And it's pretty evenly matched, but at some point, Siren kind of, like, spins out of Spider-Woman's grasp, and she winds up falling. But luckily, Angel's there to grab her. Now, where, where are those hands, Angel? Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh, I can see. They're not where they should be. They aren't. They're not in the safe zone, Sean. He's pulled this maneuver before, you can tell. Yeah. And what winds up happening is on the next page, um, Siren hits him with a uh, sonic hologram, which is what you were talking about. No, that wasn't what I was talking about, and I completely forgot she could do this. And it's really cool that when she does this, because it's a, a giant pterosaur, which looks a lot like... Sauron. Sauron, and the... the Who has been in his head. Exactly. Yeah. And so I thought that was really cool. Um just being like, obviously, because Claremont wrote, you know, well, I mean, he didn't, that's shit, man. Claremont didn't write that stuff, what am I talking about? Well, he did write the second Sauron appearance. True. And was Angel there for that? 
But I was thinking about the, um, I was thinking about the Neil Adams stuff. Right. Yeah, when, when he really did a number on Angel. Yeah. But, I mean, he, he read the shit out of it, you know he did. Oh yeah. That, and that's really all the, the X-Men that, that he was into, as far as I can remember hearing. Like, the Neil Adams, Roy Thomas stuff was what he really liked. Yeah. So that was the, the tone of X-Men that he wanted to bring to the book when he came on. But, a cool callback, impossible for Siren to know what? any of that. Yeah. But it's still a cool callback. And then I think it's cool anytime you get to watch Colossus and Juggernaut beat the hell out of each other. Oh my god. And for this one time, Colossus gets the best of the Juggernaut. It probably shouldn't happen too often. Yeah. But um, while Juggernaut is an irresistible force, the floor beneath him is not. Yep. And Juggernaut's really so great with the swimming. And they're in a boat. So Colossus just rips the hole out from underneath him and he drops to the bottom of the ocean. Which is a good solution. Good using your brain, Peter. Yep. I love the fact that, like, Black Tom goes after Colossus. Yeah. And I think that exchange between the two of them is pretty sweet, where Black Tom's about to hit him with a bioblast and he's like, it can wreck a tank. And Colossus just yells at him, I am no tank, and then punches him in the face. God, I, I think they save the best one-liners for Colossus. Like, when shit is going down yeah. and he just needs to be a badass, he always delivers that line that, that like, would make the room quiet when everybody heard it. They're like, oh, Colossus is, is mad. Yeah. <laughs> he is the X-Men's yippee motherfucker. Right! He is! If he ever says that in a book, I don't know how I'd feel about it. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it wouldn't be unexpected because that's him. That's what if you was like, Dasvidanya, motherfucker? <laughs> Dasvidanya! <laughs> America loves Smirnoff, motherfucker. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Who, who is that fucking Yakov Smirnoff? <laughs> <laughs> Smirnoff. America loves No, but Smirnoff. the fucking comedian. Like, what was his catchphrase? That that was his joke. What? Like, he gets off the plane and he sees a billboard, America loves Smirnoff, and he thinks they're talking about him. <laughs> no, but didn't he have a choice? We've killed the joke by now, but I thought uh, he had a thing. Then I got to New York. New York was great. I walked out of the airplane. I saw my name written. Big letters. Smirnoff. <laughs> America loves Smirnoff. I said to myself, what a country. <laughs> I want classes to start talking. <laughs> um, so this is a, a great battle. I mean, this, this is half this issue is a knockdown drag out fight between the three Irish. Well, I guess Kane isn't a, an Irishman, but, uh, Black Tom's gang and, and the X-Men and Spider-Woman. And um outside of Colossus, I think Spider-Woman is the heavy hitter in this fight. Oh, yeah. Plus, she's using her book, I guess that makes sense. And, and we're going to discuss panel number 21, or page 21, panel 4. We get Jerry's comic crush. Because Spider-Woman, to get the best of Siren, I don't know how she does it in the time period that she's got, but she managed to, to get out of her costume, so she's nude... <laughs> And she, yes! um, 
She uh she stuffs her costume with packing material so that Siren thinks, it is, <laughs> thinks it's her and throws it at her. And so now we have basically a cat fight between <laughs> between a naked Spider Woman and Teresa Cassidy. Um, but it's a short fight. It's one bioblast and and that's it. And then she Teresa's puts, done. She puts the, she puts on the tattered. You know, because she's taken a shot to the midsection from Siren, uh, which is very unfortunate, except for um, Angel and Colossus who walk in and discover her in her tattered costume. And then, uh, as I think everything's all right, Juggernaut busts through the floor of the ship, goes after Colossus. Colossus throws a goddamn steel door at him. Bulkhead door, yeah. And uh, Juggernaut just crushes it. And I think it's cool here because, like, the balls on Colossus. Yes, I was thinking to the take same thing. that chance. Yeah, like, tell them what happens in this. Sequence. So, like, they start to grapple, and like, basically, Juggernaut like gets his arms around Colossus, and Colossus depowers and slips in between his like out of his arms, and yeah. Angel swoops in and grabs him, and it's such a cool thing because it's like, I mean, that's a one wrong move, and Colossus would have been squished. Like, if, oh, yeah. if Juggernaut had figured out what he was doing, like. Done. I can't imagine being wrapped up by a guy that large. Oh, yes, but, you I mean, can. That, <laughs> I shouldn't have stopped the sentence. Pause at that point. That's a, I can't imagine. Never being. leave me a moment, Jerry. <laughs> That's all I do the entire time. You're talking about the issues, and I'm just waiting to pass. Yeah. So, I mean, Colossus is huge when he's in his armored form. He's, like, over seven feet tall. He's, like, 500 pounds or something. But Juggernaut dwarfs him. That's one of the things that I'd like to do. I'd really like to go back and look at the official Marvel handbooks for the X-Men characters this, at this time and, like, figure that out. Because I never, until doing the reread, like, I always thought it was just his skin got covered. Oh, no, he gets way more massive when he changes right? form. But Everybody never... needs to remember, like, he's he's tall, though. He's, like, 6'6", six, six maybe, right? when he's normal, but he gets way bigger. But then he gets definitely... excited, he grows. Cha-cha. But that was a callback to you on page twenty-one, panel four. Yeah, I got excited and I grew. Um, page twenty-six, I think, is the best-looking page in the book. Yeah, there's a full panel that a full panel sound effect. Yeah, you don't see much cool of those. Looking. And then the next panel is a close-up of um, just Spider Woman's face, showing her grit and determination with her teeth gritted. And her hand delivering a venom blast as hard as she can into the juggernaut for as long as she can. And you can see around him, like, the steel floor melting. Yeah. Like, she's pouring everything she's got into this. And I don't know if it's just because it's Spider-Woman's book and Claremont's overexcited, but the way that they've written her in this book, she is as formidable a superhero as you would run into in the Marvel Universe. And when she joined the Avengers, not knowing this about her, I was kind of like, really, an Avenger? I don't know. But she absolutely belongs in a team like the Avengers. She's awesome. And in fact, she's she's in these issues that we're talking about today so much that I kind of wish she was a mutant. Yeah. I would love to have her as an X-Men. I think one of the really, like, I, and I know that, like, earlier when we discussed, like, our process of wanting to stick to the reread as much as we possibly could, 
And, and stressing the fact that we wanted people to read along is, uh, mostly because, like, there's a lot of really cool shit that if you're listening to this podcast right now, and you're doing it mostly to just get, like, the gist of what's going on in the history of the X-Men, and you've never gone back, like, I love me and Jerry to death, I love myself way too much, <laughs> but you're doing yourself a disservice if you think that our explanation or recaps of the issues, because we're only, like, we're looking at it from the aspect of, like, what excited us, but there could be things that you read into it, or panels that you think are way better than the stuff that we're picking out, so... And honestly, they're just, as long as this show tends to be, there still is not time to touch on everything cool about it. Yeah. So, I mean, I would really... The whole point of this podcast, other than just giving us an excuse to talk about the X-Men, is to get other people... Yes. Is to get people excited about the X-Men, and hopefully encourage some of you to go back and read this. And if you read it along with us, all the better. I mean... Hell yeah. Let's let's make this a rereading community, man. Let's let's do this shit together. Let's talk about it. I don't know. I'm just really excited because um, we got through the... When we went through the burn stuff, I was a little down. And I, I was like, this is the high point, and it's going to be downhill from here. But I like... I just feel like every issue we read, I'm just loving it more. Even though the the books aren't as great, they're still really good, and it's still continuing the same story. And I'm just loving it more. I love this shit more now than I did as a little kid. Yeah. You know, like, uh, damn, it's good. That's probably overselling it. No. But, but I'm in a place now where I'm reading Spider-Woman, from 1981, and I'm fucking loving it. So, I don't know. Yeah. Take that for what it's worth, I guess. And there's there's been a few, like, emotional beats that I have hit where, like, like the, there were, I think, I don't know if we talked, if we were able to discuss it on the, uh, with Wendy. Did we, um... When I was reading the magic thing, one of the things that really hit me was I grew up in a time period where, like, Liliana had passed away from the legacy virus. I never really knew her as magic. I only knew her as, like, a little girl with the legacy virus. Mm-hmm. And I knew that that caused Peter to, in a really dark time, defect to Magneto's acolytes. But it didn't hold much emotional weight with me at the time because it was just like, oh, what a dick. Like, how could you do that to everybody? But there's a moment in magic number four. Where when um, Ileana comes back and she's older, Peter's in a room and he's watching her sleep. And, and he walks out of the room and he's talking to the X-Men. And he looks at him just really broken and he goes, I wish I had never met Charles Xavier. Yeah. Like, and it really, like, that affected me because I was like, the the that issue came out the year that I was born. And when I got to the point where I was reading comics regularly... I saw the end of that. Mm-hmm. Like, I saw that point where Colossus the is so broken that she's of... just like, every time that I turn around, like, I, I came here to America with the best intentions, and at every turn, humanity kicks the shit out of me. Something terrible happens. Like, if I, I, like, sure, Russia might suck, but I'd be a farmer, and my sister would still be alive. Mm-hmm. Like, if I had, and it, and it, like, and then him, turning around and, like, coming back and and sacrificing himself, you know, to destroy the legacy virus. Mm -hmm. It's like, you. I think you get a lot more out of it. At least for me. For all I know, people have been reading comics 
in that way for years, and I was just mission stuff because I was so excited to get to the next issue that I didn't, like, fully absorb it. Uh-huh. But that's the thing that I love about doing this, is the fact that there are little tiny moments, which we'll talk about when we get to the annual that we're going to discuss, where, mm-hmm. like, I'm overlooked or didn't hit the same, or maybe that I'm older now and, like, I've had more experience under my belt, stuff like that hits me harder, you know? Yeah. But it's definitely worthwhile to, uh, like, I think, when I was a kid, I read these and I was like, I want to see him fight because it's fun and it's like a movie and blah, but now it's like the it's emotional like the character that I watch on Yeah, I'm kind of yeah. like, I totally get where you're coming from, like I, it's yeah. exciting to see Spider-Woman at the very end of this issue be able to hand Black Tom over to the cops, talk to the X-Men, and then go proudly hang her state of California licensed private investigator in her new office. She just went toe-to-toe with Juggernaut, and she's excited about being a P.I. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny to me. And I but think but like, she's like, this is like a reset button for her. Like, she's starting over, you know, and there's a hot guy that lives downstairs, and she's got a new job that she's excited about, and a new town that she likes, and, and nobody knows her there yet. You know? Yeah. It's cool. I want to read more of this. I do. And I think if you have any interest whatsoever in the Spider-Woman but you haven't really, like, delved into anything, I think these are two great issues to start. They give you a Definitely. badass showcase of the um, powers that she's got, the personality that she's got, and it also, like, you've got the added bonus of having three sweet X-Men, the introduction of an awesome Cassidy family member, and you get Black Time and Juggernaut being Black Time and Juggernaut. It's awesome. They're awesome. Yeah. I yeah. like, there's a, awesome. there's a point, like, uh, and I'm gonna digress. I don't know about Black Tom. I don't think he's that awesome. I, I like the connection I, to, I like to, yes. I like that part of it, but his power. I like, eh, no, it's because right. what you said earlier is exactly right. There's something nice about the fact that he's just a fucking criminal. Yeah. Because yeah. like that, talking about, we're gonna, unfortunately, I'm not gonna spoil anything, but I will talk about a recent issue that I read. That was why I got so excited about Amazing X-Men number nine. Because it was nice to see them fighting. Our heroes in, in, I feel like, you know, especially like Wolverine's the perfect example of a, of a hero whose mutant power has gotten so overblown that it almost feels like there's no threat, that there's no, um, there's a lacking of a little bit of drama because it's like there's not much of a threat. I mean, now, obviously, you know, things have happened with Wolverine where it's mm-hmm. it's definitely there. But I think at this time, like, everything was so new and you'd only really had one or two deaths in comics and no one had come back yet mm-hmm. that everything felt like it had, like, a real... Like, there were consequences. Right. And, and I enjoyed yeah. the when fact... When Stacy was gone. Yeah. Stay, she... Jean Grey looked like she was gonna stay gone. Yeah. I mean. Like, there were some serious repercussions to what happened. And I, and I feel like in recent years, you brought up the, the, the Gillen time period in Uncanny. Which I remember us talking about and, and me really liking at the uh, time. And, and you saying, that's not my favorite. I. And I see it now. <laughs> and, the, and the funny thing is, is there's actually an issue that I liked during that time period a lot, which now I look back a couple years later and I go, that's one of actually the biggest problems that I have with comics right now. There was an issue of Uncanny where, like, I don't even remember what they were trying to stop. I think it might have been, like, Nimrod Sentinels or some shit. Oh. But anyways, Cyclops had, like, 47 different plans. 
Oh, yeah. Do you remember issue where, like, he had a shit ton of plans? and he That was, was a Gillen issue or a fraction so. issue? No, I think it was a Gillen issue. Okay. I think it was either right before it rebooted or right after. And it was one of those things where, like, Cyclops had all of these plans to stop the bad guy that was coming at them. And they were all really good plans, and it was an interesting issue. And it, they were plans that I would have never thought of. And it showcased the fact that Cyclops was a really good tactician. Mm-hmm. But it almost made him appear invincible. Right. Like, I've always got a plan. Like, he was fucking George Prepard. And he was like, <laughs> don't worry. I love it when a plan comes together. Um, <laughs> and it was one of those things where, like, his... Like, it, it just kind of killed it for me. And, and, and I've enjoyed seeing the X-Men fight a new brotherhood. And I've enjoyed them seeing... Like... It's fun to go back and watch them fight other mutant characters that, like, were kind of evenly matched, and I don't know who's going to win, and Colossus might get his face punched in by Juggernaut. Yeah. You know? But now it seems like the threat has always been this thing where it's like, we're never going to survive this, and it's... This Mm -hmm. is it. Like, this is the... You know, and when they... I don't know. It seems like everybody's a little bit overpowered, and I kind of like the fact that, you know, three X-Men... And an Avenger had a tough time beating two criminals and their, you know, teenage niece. Yeah. And it kicked ass. Yeah. So read it. I want to make a Bronze Age fan out of you yet. I still call 81 the Bronze Age. I think, probably not. I think, honestly, right, like, I think I would be because there's a part of me that, like, romanticizes the fact that they weren't... Listen, an event like Infinity, I loved. Mm-hmm. But it's so... Such a big scale that, like, it's nice to go back occasionally and have these kind of self-contained, like, yeah. almost homey moments where it feels like mm-hmm. it's nice. Having it, I mean, if it's a summer event and it happens over three months, that's a quarter of the year gone. Yeah. And then you got to deal with the aftermath. You have to deal with the prelude leading up to it. So, I mean, it's almost half a year of tie-ins that you're dealing with it in it. Knocks every ish, every story off course. And, you know, they're finally getting back into a groove when the next one comes. The argument that you can make for that is that, um, that's how shit happens in the real world. Like, you don't wake up one morning and say, I'm gonna lose my job today. Right. You don't wake up and say, I'm gonna get murdered in an alley because I walked the wrong way home or whatever, you know, like, that's the way shit happens. So, I mean, you could just take that approach to it. It's tough, though. Yeah. I don't really look at things that way. But when things get bad, I tell myself to. But, yeah, as long as the quality of the event stays high. um, Like, I'm never going to complain that I got uh, an event that was nine, well, nine issues of Jim Chung and Jerome Pena. Oh no! I mean, I love it. I think we agree that that was awesome. Yeah, but but yeah, I agree with what you're saying though. So yeah, it's nice to go back to a time where that didn't exist, and hang out there for a little while. Yeah. All right. So now we're up to Uncanny X Men 148. X Men. Cry mutant. Cry mutant. Cry. You gonna cry, mutant? Huh? And in fact, that's what they are doing. And we join it. 
So this picks up where we left off in issue 147. Um, Scott and Lee have discovered a mysterious island covered in giant green, cool-looking ancient ruins. It's cool as hell. And uh, and they're like, what the fuck is going on? Scott can't see anything because he's lost his visor in their shipwreck. And Lee's clothes are almost completely torn off, which doesn't suck. It's awesome. Yeah, there's like a really cool Cthulhu-looking guy in the front. This is clearly some kind of Atlantean ruins that have been lifted from the ocean floor by some mysterious force. Sean. And uh, Lee's putting the moves on Scott again, and he's into it. No, he's not. She completely surprises him by it. And he's like, yo, please don't. Yeah. And she's all, what's wrong? Is it Gene, who he accidentally called Lee last time? And he's like, look, man, I was in love with this Jean Grey girl, and she died. Okay, are you happy? And Lee's response is, well, why are you crapping on me? You forget that you were there when my dad died in front of me. Right. And I've been through some shit, too. She's like, I just want some companionship, chief. I'm not looking to get married. Let's just bang a little on this lovely little island. What's yeah. wrong with that? And he's like, I don't know. I'm dumb. I'm just going to... Lee, I got a headache. <laughs> How's that feel? So she gets pissed off. And this is just... There's all this drama, right? Right. And, and she gets pissed off and runs away crying. And then you just get this one single panel at the end of the page. where He's standing there blindfolded. has no idea where he is. And he's just like... Lee? <laughs> and then he's left to fumble around and figure out where he is. He can't. He trips. He gets frustrated, rips off his blindfold, and releases his optic blasts. Um, firing blindly into the ceiling, which probably should have come down on his head and killed him. Yeah. But she sees it happen. She comes back and apologizes. Her boobs are half hanging out. It's crazy. Cockrum's doing a great Listen. job here. If there was any youngsters listening, if a girl does these two things... I'm listening, Sean. Leaves part of a boob hanging out. Wait, let me get my pen. And apologizes? (laughs) You keep her around. (laughs) This woman's marrying material. Yeah. They make up, and and he, he tells her, I'm glad you came back. I need you. And, of course, his analytical brain is like, because I don't know where the fuck I am. And she's like, we need each other. Because we're going to be in love. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus, Sean. Am I right? (laughs) Cut to the X-Mansion. And uh, it's playtime for Wolverine and Nightcrawler. They're out in the woods, and you'll start seeing more of this. This is a really cool little deal. Wolverine is hunting Nightcrawler for practice for the two of them. Nightcrawler's trying to evade him. Wolverine's trying to find him. Wolverine pulls a, dis- a ninja disappearing act on Nightcrawler. Like, he's there, and then as he puts it later, he hides in plain sight. I want to know how the hell to do that when my boss is coming. Uh, but, so he disappears. Nightcrawler stupidly teleports down from the trees, hiding into the ground. Wolverine punches him in the solar plexus, <laughs> dropping him, and then pops his claws and scares the crap out of him by stabbing the ground right next to his head. And then it has a good laugh about it. 
And he's like, man, I don't know why we have to rebuild the danger room when we could be practicing out here. This is way better. Yep. And I'll tell you, in my golden age, in the Ramita run, we'll, like every it seemed like every time you saw those guys, they were out there. Yeah. Like, Storm was out there. Um, after the Mutant Massacre, you're, I don't know if you remember where she tears off her vest and, like, runs out into the woods. Yeah. And, like, it seems like all the dramatic shit happens out in the woods. And that, that all starts in this issue. Meanwhile, inside, they are still rebuilding the mansion from when yep. Kitty had the fight with Nagari Demon. Yeah, Angel Angel storms out because he tells Xavier that he can't deal with Wolverine's violent nature. Yeah, I, I shouldn't have overlooked that. That's kind of an important thing. So he kind of storms off and takes off. And Aurora sticks up for him. And she... She basically says, I feel the same way, but who are we if we turn him away instead of trying to help him? Yeah. So that's the whole... You remember that Tumblr thing I retumbled of the, the Wolverine No? Did you see that? Where it's just a, a list of oh, yeah, yeah, uh, panels of Aurora telling Wolverine not to do something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so while while she's doing that and keeping him from having fun, I mean... This is where her heart's really at. She's not being mean. She's, like, trying to help him grow as a person. So everybody, Slurmo, who's like, Storm's a bitch. She's not. She's awesome. Yeah. So then we've got a retired uh, Banshee with Colossus rebuilding part of the uh, mansion, like you said, that could have destroyed. And there's a very young Ileana because Bolsacco hasn't happened to her yet. Not yet. Now... Was she in the issues that we just talked about prior to this? I can't remember. We talked about her first appearance, right? So she's already been in. Because her first appearance was Giant Size number one. Yeah. But she has appeared at this point. Before. I believe so, yes. But they're, they're starting to set up the scene where Ileana's around and she's little and she's cute and she's got ponytails. Yep. And she's not afraid of Nightcrawler, unlike Kitty, who's mean. And that's when it happens. That's when it happens. Sean is introduced to his daughter. Who hands him an envelope. Yeah. And is all mysterious. Your cousin Tom asked me to give you this. It'll explain who I am. So that's pretty awesome. But I don't like how Moira reacted. Yeah, I knew we'd be talking about this. Because we spent some time on some issues where they went back to Scotland and had to deal with Moira's evil fucking husband that she was still married to. Yeah. And then she gets bent out of shape. She's talking to Storm and Spider-Woman. She's basically like, I'm not pissed that he has a daughter. I'm just pissed that like I have to like split his love now. And I just thought that was fucking weird. That was weird. But it's kind of good that it happened because Storm confides in her that she hates Stevie Hunter for the same reason. Yep. And so I think her saying it kind of helped her realize how stupid it was. Yeah. Moira's response is really surprising. Um, I always thought she was cool as a kid, but I kind of hate her. I'm not going to lie. Like, like she, <laughs> she dissed the professor. Yeah. And then, you know, the whole, she wanted Sean to be cool. And then, and I mean, honestly, she was in a really bad situation. Right. And, and he was very understanding about it. But Sean was in love with this woman. She died. 
but had a child that he never knew about. Yeah. Like, why? Can't hold that against him. And I guess she's saying she doesn't. Yeah. But, um, petty. Very petty response. But people respond petty ways. And she I mean, didn't I'm... fly off the handle in the room. She, right. like, walked away to collect herself. So she handled it as an adult. You know? Like, you have emotions, you have to deal with them. I suppose. Still. Still. I got, I got to admit, judging by the cover of this issue, you would think that this is just a silly, ridiculous issue. But it, there's actually, like, a lot of heart to it because of the character that they're about to introduce, which I believe is his first appearance. I think so. It is the, um, Morlock Caliban. At this and he's point. lonely. They're like, this part bummed me out because he's like, he's just looking for like, it's not even like he's trying to like, be creepy. He's just like a fucking lonely dude who's living in the sewers. Like, yeah, he climbs up out of the sewer and there's no mention of the Morlocks in this issue. Right? No, there's At not. this point, he's just a guy living by himself in the sewers. Yeah. And so, uh, Spider-Woman, Jessica Drew, Aurora, Stevie Hunter, and Kitty have gone out to see Dazzler. Dazzler. At the Infinity Nightclub. And Caliban shows up because he picks up on the fact that there are mutants in the vicinity. Right. And he doesn't want to be alone anymore. So, uh... He didn't realize there was anyone like him. Doesn't exactly. he say that? Like, yeah. he thought he was completely alone. Yeah. The only weird one in the world. And so he's, uh, kind of trying to bust into the club as Allison starts to sing. So there's that whole going on. So everybody's kind of... You start to hear, like, a ruckus at the back of the club while Allison's playing, so most of the people aren't paying attention. And uh Aurora and Jessica start to notice what's going on. Mm-hmm. And before they can react, Kitty's like, I'm on it. I want to prove myself as an X-Men. And right. you would think after the whole Nagari demon thing that she might want to just pump the brakes a little well, bit. she handled that shit. She handled it, but they're still <laughs> picking up the pieces. <laughs> Literally... <laughs> and so she just busts out of there underneath the table, starts phasing through the floor, and uh she's already into her costume, like and then she does the whole walking on air thing. She's talking about how Aurora the I the the comedic value of this fucking panel cracked me up. Because she's like, I can walk on air. She's like, Man, if Aurora could see me, she'd be so proud of me and then you turn the panel <laughs> and Aurora's like, If I get my hands on that kid I'm going to wring her neck. Yeah. I think that Claremont has, uh, you don't see a lot of it in his X book, but he had, when he was writing Marvel Team Up, he has a knack for writing comedy. Yeah. In, in comics, like, yeah, he's good. And I thought it was, and that cool was a funny that, like, beat. Like, it, it really is. And I dug that, like, Allison, while she's on stage, starts to realize that there's something going on at Aurora's table. So she, like, pumps up her power to, like, kind of dazzle everybody so that they don't notice Aurora and Jessica change into their costumes. Right. So Kitty runs into Caliban. He grabs her. And uh, that's when Jessica and Aurora show up. They start fighting Caliban. And we see him exhibiting some powers that I'm not familiar with. I mean, maybe maybe they haven't she's, she's pretty shaken tough. out. Is he like I? I just remember him being like a mutant sensor. Well, yeah, he was but, like I think okay, so maybe I might be confusing it a little bit because it might have been when Apocalypse got well, old and oh, yeah, he right. got strong. But yeah, all right. But he does seem to have some level of super strength at this point. He snaps off a street lamp, and uh, 
wants to swing it at Jessica. And, uh, he did, there was something else he did. I can't remember what it was. But they unmask him and reveal his face, which I'm sure most of you have seen. He's got, you know, the, the eggshell white skin and, and the big bug eyes. Yeah. And, um, he's so cool looking. He's I had cool. a big, like, like, I really liked him when I was younger. When I got into the comics, he was like one of those characters that, like, I, I didn't identify with him, but there was a certain, like, like, the, the young part of me was like, I want him to know that, like, I wouldn't be scared of him, you know, like, yeah. I'd be accepting, like, and they really, like, there's an annual that was one of, like, my favorite annuals, which is him going back to that, like, he goes back to the place where he tried to marry Kitty. Yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, this is their first meeting. Yeah. This is an important, it is. like, as far That's what as... I'm saying, like, if this issue... The, the relationship the of the, uh... The X-Men and the Morlocks, I mean, the whole thing boils down to this moment where yeah. Caliban meets Kitty, ultimately. And yep. there's a lot of shit that goes down after this um, that maybe doesn't have the same impact on the X-Men if this doesn't happen. Yeah. I know, and he just kind of just runs away. And then they're kind of like, we should have gone after him, but... But we're not gonna. Yeah, let's sometimes have, let's have gotta, drinks yeah, in the club. Up. And then, uh... You can see me in the club. Yep. Nobody's ratchet at that table. No one is ratchet. Stevie's a little ratchet. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, we cut back to Lee and Cyclops, and all of a sudden, like, they're they're having a conversation, everything's going well, and all of a sudden... You overhear someone just kind of go, you know, basically kind of just, they hear another voice. Lee gets all excited. It says, you hear, it says, I thought the island was deserted. How pleasant to discover I was mistaken. And you see a head with two little points coming out of the top. And Lee's like, I'm so happy there's someone else here. Oh, hell yeah, we're saved. That voice, if he recognizes me, we're fucked. And you turn the page. And it's Magneto. Fucking Magneto. The first appearance of Magneto since the lava base. Yep. Fucking lava bases. Speaking of lava bases, that brings us to issue 149. X-Men! So, uh, we go back to the X-Mansion. And this, I thought, was really interesting, Sean. Professor X is reflecting, coincidentally, on Magneto. And he says, origin unknown. Yep. He, and he's reflecting on how, despite all of their run-ins, he really knows nothing about this guy. Which is weird. It's weird to consider now, because it's been retconned so much that you know, they were best friends at one point. Yeah. I think what we discovered, though, we gave a, we patted ourselves on the back a little bit with a no prize of the fact that maybe he'd just never seen Magneto without the helmet on. And so he never put Or he knew him at a, a prior life before he became a supervillain. Yeah. He was just a, just a dude, a young mutant with ideas. Yeah. So he's sitting there cataloging all this Magneto nonsense. And Kitty Pride zooms in on fucking roller skates. 
Yeah, she's done a costume redesign that has every color in the rainbow. This is the most god-awful looking thing you've Xavier ever seen. Xavier snaps on her because she phases through the machinery and he's like, God damn it, how many times have I told you? <laughs> and it only gets worse from there because then he's like, he goes off on the tangent of how an individual costume must be earned. And I, I gotta admit, like, I understand... I like reading that. I understand what he's saying and I do agree with it, but I think at this point, like, most of the other X-Men have, like, made the point of, like, hey man, We've all got this figured out. We were doing this when you weren't around, like. And so there's a little. I'm just. I guess I'm not a fan of dickhead Xavier when he gets like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, she she's like an auxiliary member, kind of. Like she's no. a student. I mean, she's a kid. She she's really shouldn't be on the team. Years old, like she shouldn't be on the team. Yeah. Flat out. But the, I mean, the point of the whole of issue 143 is that she proved herself worst costume ever. In in the like under fire that she was ready, yeah. Um. So so they let her on the team, but she, they won't make that mistake when the next mutants show up, and that will be a point of contention among them. But they are still rebuilding. Yep. Uh. Looks like they're, they're working in the danger room still, trying to rebuild that. Yeah. Um. Xavier bumps in with an astral direction, telling him he's got a mission for him. <laughs> Colossus whips Wolverine's ass at Jin while they're on the plane. Yeah. And then... Kitty's was a stowaway. So their destination, it turns out, is fucking Magneto's lava base where they all almost died. Yeah. In issue 113 and 114. And they kind of brief, very briefly... Re- oh, man, I love this issue because it, like, it fully... It takes them back to the scene of the crime. It took me back to the scene of the crime. Yeah. And, you know, they, they go back in the way that they got out. Right. And um, they find that nanny robot yeah. that tormented them out of love. And uh, Nightcrawler's like, oh, here's that nanny robot. And Wolverine gets so pissed and just slashes it right out of his hands with his claws. And Kitty's like, oh, this is cool. This is cool. And, uh, Storm goes out to explore, and, um, she hears a voice in her head, and is reminded of their time in the Savage Land, where they ended up after they escaped the lava base, where she, where they were facing Garrock, the petrified man, and he plummets into this giant hole in the earth, and, which was the source of his power, and, um, she tries, she flies down and tries to save him, but she can't quite reach, and a rock falls on her, and he plummets, they think, to his death. Yeah. It turns out, when he plummets, he lands in Magneto's lava base. And not only that, if, if I have this right, um, he lands in the lava. Yeah. And half of his body, his crystal body, is reduced to slag. And is, like, Melted, melted and misshapen. And Magneto has commanded that he remain here to guard the base while he's gone. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, he finally reveals himself. Uh, the X-Men fight him. Uh, Wolverine tries to take a chunk out of him with his claws, but uh, as soon as he slices him, he, he seals again. There's a really, like, cool... Um, like, the, the crystallization... He, uh, 
Okay, so the, the crystal half of Garak at this point in the battle starts to shine. And the reason why I bring that up is there's just a really cool panel. Like, you, Jerry's gone off a few times about the fact that, like, he thinks that, like, you have to have the triangles underneath Nightcrawler. Or it doesn't oh, right. yeah. I thought of this when you were... I know and I think that that's a it. really cool panel there because you see Nightcrawler, like, lit up by the crystals, and he looks different. Like, right. he looks really different, and I... The shine is so bright that you see all the features of his face. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was really cool. Me too. I thought so too. And it's the kind of thing... You know, Claremont's usually guilty of over-explaining things. But he, they kind of leave that for you to notice yourself. Right. You know, he's like, oh, it's blinding me. Leaving me nowhere to hide. Because he's trying to hide in the shadows, which yeah. is normally his thing. But, um... But yeah, the fact that you can see his entire face is a cool touch. So, uh, he, the petrified man grabs Aurora by the waist and just hurls her down this shaft. Yeah. Uh, real, real far. And she smashes into the bottom unconscious. And they think maybe she's dead. I don't know. But it turns out she's not. Garrock escapes. And they fly back home <laughs> and drink hot Garrick, chocolate. Garrick tries to, like, Kitty goes down there to try to rescue Storm because she's on, like, a little bit of a ledge. And she's not totally at the bottom of the pit. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And he goes to, like, clobber fucking Kitty and she phases and he falls through and he winds up falling down the rest of the pit. And so then Oh, that's right. I mistook that for Colossus. I mistook Colossus for him. You're right. Yeah. And they, um, they wind up like, Nightcrawler, like, Kitty Pride's able to communicate to Nightcrawler where they're at, so they're able to teleport and get Aurora out. Along with the help of, like, he gets so far, and then Colossus is kind of hanging on, and as Nightcrawler teleports, he grabs his costume and just flings him and Aurora up out of the pit. Yeah. And then they're drinking out chocolate on the way back. Everyone except for Logan. Yeah. Ain't and got then, time for it. Then you've got a final page... Of Cyclops in a ridiculous outfit. <laughs> ridiculous. Any shirt, or I guess you wouldn't really call that a shirt. I don't know what... He's got the full-on pirate boots. He's got red tight pants on. Yeah. He's got an he octopus-looking... I was going to say... Blouse. It, <laughs> if you can rock an octopus with that kind of confidence, you're a real man. But he looks an awful lot like his dad here. He does. And, you know, both designed by Cockrum, so it's probably not a coincidence, just from a design perspective, but also, you know, because they're related. And then, like, Cyclops is talking to Lee, and he's like, I think it's going to be all right. Magneto rounds the corner, he's like, I think it's going to be, Cyclops, because in this place, you don't have your great tele- or optic blast powers. They won't work in my base, so now Cyclops knows that Magneto knows. And that's not good. That ain't good at all. And that's where we're going to leave the X-Men for this episode. Uh, if you seek out, very soon there will be an anthology episode that will feature short pieces from each of the shows on this network. And our piece will be about the next issue in this run. The double-sized 150th issue uh, that will be the resolution of this Magneto storyline. In the meantime, we've got a treat for you. We're not completely leaving the X-Men, 
because this fits along the same theme and runs into the what we're dealing with because it does deal with the let's dive into it what are we talking about jerry we are talking about the avengers king size annual number 10 from 1981 where you lucky reader could win a columbia 10 speed formula 10 racer details are inside I would fucking love that. Oh, God, I know. That would have been badass. This is a 75-cent issue written and co-edited by Chris Claremont, penciled by the great Micronauts penciler Michael Golden. Armando Gill did the inks on this issue, uh, and I think he did a really good job because there is a shit ton of detail in these pencils. Yep. Um, this is going to blow everybody's mind because it's an Avengers book, but it is in my top five, possibly top three favorite comic books of all time. I agree. It is that good. Now, Sean, the first thing you notice about this issue is the cover because, of course, that's where you're going to start. What do you think of this cover? I think it is good. I enjoy it because it showcases a lot of fun stuff. This is one of those storytelling co- yeah. uh, covers, you know. Read my, this issue where you'll see this and this and this and my, this happen. My cover's cooler because it says to Sean Michael Golden. Yes, it does. Did that happen when we went to mm-hmm. the con together? Mm-hmm. I was there for that. You were? You were the reason it happened, Jerry. Aww. Because I had only gotten this issue a few years earlier. I was out in New York and I had stumbled upon a pretty cool comic book store, which was like, it was like, Upstairs, like you had to kind of like, it was weird how you had to get there. And the dude, um, he liked me. We got along. <laughs> and we got along so much that he gave me this and Seer Wars number eight for free. Holy shit. Yeah. Those are two good books. I know. Cause I was looking at him and I was like, I don't have these two shoes. And he was like, you're out here on vacation. You're having a good time. They're yours. That's awesome. So this is an Al Milgram cover. Now, the reason I'm asking all these cover questions. Yes. Did you know that yes. Michael Golden did a cover for this? And it's awesome. And it was rejected. Yeah. And it is a hundred times yep. the cover that this one is. Yeah. It'll be on our Tumblr. Look for it. If you haven't seen it before, I had never seen it before, maybe a couple weeks ago. Editor's note, we have since learned that it was not, in fact, a rejected cover, but a commission. It's still awesome. And just a little other known fact about this issue, um, it's Brian Michael Bendis' favorite comic. I asked him on Tumblr about this today, because we tweeted earlier this week, and I sent messages to a couple people. You and I had talked, you know, off mic about the art in this issue. We agree that this is a special issue artistically. But neither of us being artists, it's hard to point out exactly why. Like, I look at it and I say, this is really good. It's very detailed. Um, he uses unique perspectives. There's a lot of close-ups. Um, but, th- like, there's a limit to wh- what I can say about the art and why this book looks different from everything else that was on the shelf in 1981. It does. But it does, absolutely. Um, this is 
this is Michael Golden putting the rest of the comic world on notice. Yeah. This thing was, the, the thing that caught my eye the most about when I read this the first time was the fact that it just seems like I had to double check and see when it came out because it felt like it could be on the shelves today. Yeah. It did, the art doesn't feel dated, like it's, it, I don't know, there's just something about this story that like really got me. So we should get into it. Oh, I do want to point out, the, um, this was colored by Michael Golden too, which you never see. Sweet. Um, I was a little surprised, I had forgotten he didn't do the inks, but, I mean, you'd almost expect it, because yeah. he did almost everything else. Um, God, it's a good looking book. Yeah, it so, opens up in San Francisco. Which, as we know, having just read Spider-Woman, is the home of Spider-Woman. Yep. And, in fact, we see Spider-Woman. We see a woman plummeting from the Golden Gate Bridge, which is a pretty common occurrence, sadly. Uh, But Spider-Woman saves this one. Takes her to the hospital. After falling falling into the water because she couldn't get enough lift carrying a person to make it to shore. So, So she swims to shore. Carrying this unconscious blonde woman in her late 20s. Yep. So we get to the hospital, and there's something incredibly interesting that happens on the first panel of page three. My head nearly blew off my shoulders when I saw this, because I don't have any memory of this, ever. Ever seeing this. So um, a lieutenant is walking into the hospital. There's a uh, police officer sergeant there. There's a nurse, and there is a nun and the nun is walking a little girl. And uh, the police officer says hello, asks to hold the door. Um, the nun thanks him. And a little girl says hello. And she looks at the police officer and she says, I'm Maddie Pryor. I've been sick, but I'm better now. Goosebumps. What the fuck, Jerry? I don't know. All I can tell you is that Chris Claremont always has a plan. And those plans begin so absurdly before you ever get the payoff. It's it's old hat now. People do this now, and it's common. But back then, like, people didn't do this shit. Yeah. This is nuts. This isn't even an X-book. Right. Like, he's planting seeds for the X-Men for something that's going to happen... Editor's note, using the power of the internet, I did a little investigating, and it seems that there's some confusion as to whether or not this is really her first appearance, but there is one website that claims that Claremont has stated that this is not the same Maddie Pryor, and that he, in fact, uh, used this as a, an homage to one of his favorite folk singers named Maddie Pryor. I get five years like, from that's that. That's the thing. Like the X Men are barely in this issue. Okay, they're barely in it. Yeah. But this is such an X Men book in the feel and the fact that like the it introduces a character who is I probably in my top ten of X Men. Oh yeah. Oh you yeah. Know, like so. It's a good issue. I almost don't want to, like, I want to spend, I could spend two hours talking about this comic book. Like, I could spend all day talking about it. Yeah. But there's almost a part of me that, like, doesn't, I seriously want people to, it's reprinted. Like, you can find it easily. You don't have to get an original copy and spend an arm and a leg. Like, mm-hmm. um. And 
it hasn't been said this episode, so I'll say it now. All of this stuff we're talking about in the reread is all available if you use the Marvel Unlimited subscription service. It's like five bucks a month or something yeah. like that. So the doctor comes out, Spider Woman's hanging around, and she mentions the fact that, like, hey, um, you know, this chick's basically like near as I can tell, mine's non existent, she's kind of a blank state. We better start canvassing mental hospitals, see if anybody's escaped. And uh the lieutenant who was walking in past a young Maddie Pryor goes, Ah, you're probably wrong about that. And she busts out Carol Daniel Danvers file folder. Her US Air Force, like so says she disappeared yeah. six months ago. And thus begins our mystery. Um, important point here. Her disappearance was not unknown to the Avengers. It's unknown to the cops at this point right. that she is, in fact, Captain Marvel. Exactly. Um, but the Avengers know that Carol and Captain Marvel both, or, sorry, Miss Marvel at this point, Ms. Marvel, uh, are gone. In Avengers 200... She takes leave of our world for limbo to be with what the Avengers think is her true love. Yeah. Um, but she's back now, and she's fallen off this bridge for unknown reasons. Spider-Woman, who has just had an interaction with the X-Men and knows Professor X, decides to call the mansion where they are still fixing shit. <laughs> yeah. And they... They are putting a giant piece of the puzzle back into the wall in the danger room. They think they've got it licked. Nightcrawler turns it on and it explodes. Yeah. And that's when Professor X talks with Spider-Woman and decides he needs to look into this. And he goes out and he mind scans um, Carol Danvers and there's nothing there. Her mind is completely erased. So he digs into her subconscious and finds an image of a woman who we as modern readers of the X-Men can instantly identify as Rogue. Yep. It's awesome. I was not a fan of this look and costume when I got into comics because obviously I grew up with the bomber jacket Southern Belle Rogue, Mm -hmm. but Michael Golden, we owe him a lot for this character. And she looks yeah. cool as hell. The costume looks awesome. Like, she looks, like, she looks evil as shit. Yeah, she looks evil. I mean, she's a, she's got a villain look. And this is, this character design is so well thought out. I mean, she's got yeah. a good silhouette that's identifiable. Uh, she's like, her nails are long and pointy, you know, and she's got the gloves. Yeah. Like that, that suspense of, Oh shit, she's taken off her gloves. Something, something bad's about to right. happen. You know, and, um, your first introduction to her in action is throwing Captain America through a park bench. Just a close up of Captain America smashing into this park bench. And I just want everyone to know that when I say this is in my top three favorite comic books of all time, I am certain that someone will be like, hey, how dare you? An Avengers book. You're an X-Man. Loyalist. It's in the top three because I think it's fucking hilarious watching one X-Men beat the shit out of every adventure. <laughs> she, she does. She pummels Captain America, and then it only gets worse from there. It's not totally bad for Cap. He gets a nice make-out session. He doesn't her. even know what's happening. Well, he is unconscious. That's probably true. the first girl he's ever kissed. And she reveals... <laughs> now we know that's not true. Um, 
he reveals that, uh, or she reveals that she's responsible yep. for Carol's condition. She's stealing Captain America's powers and memories, just like she did with Carol. And she has to be careful this time because she made contact too long with Carol and the transfer was permanent. Yeah. Avengers are hanging out, drinking hot chocolate made by Jarvis. Captain America gets thrown through the window. Of Avengers Mansion, which is... Man, I'm telling you, the Brotherhood, this Brotherhood is sweet. Yeah, oh yeah. They walked up to Avengers Mansion and threw Captain America through the front window and just left. Fuck yeah. Like, and then see ya. It, but it gets even better because you've got Rogue wreaking havoc at Avengers Mansion, just throwing everybody for a loop because, come on, to even get to the... At this point, it's just Rogue. Yeah. And then you cut to Stark International, and Tony's working on something, and he's talking to the guys, and they're like, hey, they contact Tony, and they're like, Captain America's just been thrown through the fucking window, what do we do? And he's like, I'm on my way. I'll be over there, I'm going to come and help out. Time out. Because I have to point out, one of the things that I know the Golden does do artistically that's special is that that uplighting that he does. There's a panel here with Tony yeah. in his lab. Like he loves to do that thing where you're where people are lit from the bottom and the shadow the way that casts shadows on their face. He, he always did it in the micronauts where they're in the cockpit and the, the lights from the displays are lighting them up from the bottom. It's so good. Alright. So yeah. So he's on his way, he thinks. When he's joined by Janet Van Dyne, the wasp. He thinks. That's such a cool panel too. When she she slaps something on him, she uh, which shuts down his armor, like a little uh, it, oh, it inhibitor. It's, yeah, it's just a little thing that gives off an inner inhibitor field, and it shuts down his armor. So he's out of the completely fight. paralyzing him, leaving him trapped in this suit of armor, right? That doesn't move at all. And she slowly, this is the character design of Mystique that I always love. That utility belt. She slowly pulls something, one of her little skulls, off of her her belt, and she's slipping it onto one of her fingers. And you're like, oh, fuck, what's she about yeah. to do? Then it cuts back to the mansion. Thor shows up, and Rogue smartly waits until he turns into Donald Blake. Because she he's, him from behind. the doctor is coming calling to try to, to help, help Cap. She busts him from behind and is about to uh, steal Thor's powers. But Spider-Woman saves the day. They they are finally going to get the best of this chick and put a stop to it. Nope, Thor's dumb. Yep. He changes back into Thor, grabs Rogue, and she just grabs a hold of his face and arm. And now not only does she have Miss Marvel's powers and Captain America's powers, but she's got Thor's powers. Right? I love... Like, it just goes to show... Like, I know that there was... I'm certain that there was... Like... It's just so awesome that in that moment when she's holding Thor, like, the vision comes out phased, and he's about to attack her, and she's she knows that she can't do anything about his powers because he's a synthesoid. So she pivots and drags, like, Thor around in front of Vision, and he phases right through Thor's chest, uh-huh. which gives her the opportunity to fucking clobber him. Vision, yeah. Which I hate seeing because he's one of my favorites. One of my favorites as well. But, uh, yeah, she looks sweet, man. Spider-Woman does a Venom blast on her and she's right? just like, 
thrilling in the power that that she's got from all these superheroes. Um, she tries to get Simon's powers. Oh yeah, he blasts right into her chest, and she doesn't budge an inch. But she realizes that there's more people there that she can't affect their powers than she had initially bargained for, so she mm-hmm. takes off. And the Avengers regroup, and they start to piece together what's happened. You get um a lot of backstory on Carol, which I think any Miss Marvel fans should definitely. This is a key Miss Marvel book. Oh yeah, because so this definitely. Yeah, we'll talk about it at the end, I guess. Yeah. Um, but they figure out a way because of Miss Marvel's energy signature. They figure out a way to track Rogue. Yeah. And they track her down, and in the meantime, they she and Mystique have gone to Rikers Island. And they've brought Iron Man along. And they use him as a human bomb. Throw him through the ceiling of the prison to free the blob. And not only the blob, but Pyro and Avalanche and Destiny. Yeah. So they, they have busted the, the Brotherhood of Mutants out of jail. They're a full team again. And now the SmackDown is on. You got the full team of Avengers, minus Iron Man who's paralyzed, and yep. Cap, who's down for the count, and Thor, who's still got a whammy on him, uh, versus the Brotherhood. I love, real quick, that panel shot of all the Brotherhood, like, putting on their gear mm-hmm. outside of, like, they just look so cool. It's such a cool team. Yeah. Yeah, this this Brotherhood is ten Death times awesome. better than the original like, team. Yeah. The, the, you know, they eventually become Freedom Force, and uh, I always dug those guys. Yeah. Even though I hated their guts. I really liked whenever they'd show up. Um, and the fact that they were there for the lead-in to the Mutant Massacre helps keep them in a special place in my heart. Because that story was so good. So uh, Pyro's got one of his Firebird creations. And this one is cool because it has depth and dimension to it. And a physicality that other artists have never been able to give it. You know, it doesn't look like flame. It looks like lava or yeah. something. You know, like it would do bad things to you if it got its hands on you. Um, and he, Golden just draws the shit out of everything. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking for like a great superhero battle, like superheroes fighting supervillains, like this is it. Yeah, he, he draws a, an exceptionally good beast. Um, there, are the my biggest complaint is that um, sometimes he gets his anatomy wonky, and like the especially with the eyes, there yeah. are some panels where people's eyes are three times too big. But um, overall, this is an absolute masterpiece. And I love the fact that, like in the background, you've got Destiny like pushing the Brotherhood in the direction that they should go. Like, right. you can't let Hawkeye do that. Avalanche take him out. Like, and it yeah. works. Like, their plan is clearly working. And then the big one, you need to stop Spider Woman. She's gone in and she's trying to free Iron Man from his paralysis. Yep. So cut into the Spider Woman trying to save Anthony. And Nick Fury shows up. Yeah. That's good news. He's got a machine gun. Maybe he can help out. But Iron Man, being heads up, says, hey, he's in a meeting. Uh, where, where did he's he say? He's at the NATO Security Conference in London. In London. So unless he can be in two places at once. 
Spider Woman, that gives Spider Woman just enough time to get the hell out of the way. And, uh, Mystique is impressed by how quickly Spider Woman can move. And we should probably mention, um, Mystique has had run-ins with, with, uh, Miss Marvel before. Yes. Um, that's where she made her first appearance. And so it was only a matter of time before she and Spider Woman would butt heads. Because that's how they do, man. The ladies be fighting the ladies. Iron Man's finally freed. And, um, here you get a sense of scale of what kind of power Iron Man has. He delivers a punch to Rogue's jaw, uh, and she really feels it. And that's when she realizes she's starting to lose the powers that she yeah. had previously gained. Scarlet Witch is a badass. Cool panel. She doesn't know what she's doing, but she makes good things happen for her team. Yeah. And then my favorite panel of the whole book is this right here. Um, in the middle of the fight, they show uh, Tony about to deliver two dual repulsor blasts, and it's just a close-up of him and his hands with some Kirby, Kirby crackle inside the repulsors, and oh, fuck, it's good. It's good. Hawkeye takes out Pyro with some kind of fly swatter arrow. Yeah. <laughs> Vision delivers a heat blast to uh, the blob's face. And I thought that was cool because he leaves him, like, sunburned. Right. And, like, a good chunk of his hair is missing. And you can see the path that his two eyes took across the blob's face. Right. And fuck, man, that is so good. Like, Golden, his storytelling, like, he has thought about what he's doing on the page. It's not like, okay, he's supposed to be fighting him. He's like, all right, well, he's going to be punching him, so what is what is that going to mean later? You know, the he's just on a completely different level. And um, eventually, the Avengers win the day. Yep. Spider-Woman has brought Carol back to the X-Mansion to uh, repose with them. They're chilling at the pool, and the Avengers pay a call. Because they're glad to see Carol back up and about. Professor X has kind of restored some of her memory from her subconscious. And, um, and then the story just takes, I, I wish we could have seen this, read this when it came out, because the story takes such an unexpected turn oh, yeah. for, for fans at the time. Um, she had gone off to limbo with this guy who had, she'd met in limbo, he impregnates her with himself, unknowingly. She returns to Earth, and in the span of 24 hours, she gets takes brings a baby to full term, gives birth to it, and within another day, it grows into this guy. She falls in love with him, and eventually returns to Limbo with him. And the Avengers are like, wow, okay, well, good luck, or I'm glad you found somebody you can really love. And that's where they left it in issue 200. That's where she had been all this time. Turns out, that's not really the way things had played out. She had been forced into loving him. She didn't want to go. The whole thing was a violation. Being impregnated was a violation. Being forced to go back to limbo was a violation. And her best friends and the people she trusted most in the world stood by and watched it happen and made a joke about it, she says. She actually slaps Thor. Yeah. And, um, it's pretty heavy. It's really heavy. Minus the, the one 
page where she's crying and she looks like Gollum because her eyes are so big. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, she's like, look, you guys aren't my friends. I thought you were my friends, but you're not. So you guys can, you should just leave. And, um, and Wanda apologizes and is like, we failed you. I'm really, I'm so sorry that any of this happened. And, um, and Carol says, I'll be all right. And they leave. And Wanda's like, oh, fuck, I can't believe this happened. I'm the worst person in the world. And the vision of all people is the one that has the, the insight to um, to bring them out. Like, this is the kind of thing that could destroy a team. Like, if Bendis was writing this book, like, this is the kind of event that um, Avengers Disassembled was. Like, it, just, it could destroy a team. And instead, the vision says, look... This will make us better people. We've seen what being in this position, the kinds of mistakes that that can cause. Yeah. And now that we know that, we'll be better people for it. He says, both we and Carol have been granted a second chance. Let's use it well. End of the issue. Yes. And end of this podcast. That one got me. Yeah, it's, it's it's a heavy end to a really, you know, you're chugging along in this great, like, you know. It's not fair because we're kind of out of time. No, it's okay. It just deserves way more time. I It's one of those things where it's like, I don't want to, like, it's seriously an issue that everyone should read. Yes. And yep. so I don't, it's like one of those things where it's like, I don't want to pull it apart too much. Because it's just one of those things where it's like, it's, to me, it was like, you get all the Avengers stuff, you get like a really good team, like it, they felt like everyone was evenly matched, you know? Mm-hmm. I suppose it helped that like I read it in a time period where like everybody was like amped up 100% and able to kick whatever's ass, you know? Yeah. Um, But no, I mean, it's a freaking great issue and you shouldn't, you should go out and read it. Yeah, I think... This is one that's so well known for what happens in it that I'm, and, but happens so long ago and is kind of expensive to get your hands on. I'm sure there's tons of people out there that are like, well, I know what happened in it. And that's the important thing. But no, man. I mean, there are, there are certain key issues that are key because it's somebody's first appearance, but they right. suck. This isn't that. This is, like, this is one of the best issues of the 80s. Yeah. You know, it's it's a masterpiece. And it's definitely underappreciated. It is. And if you don't read this book, you're letting yourself down. You're depriving yourself of joy. Don't right. deprive yourself of joy. Go find it. So how are we doing? Are we good? Yeah, we're okay. All right. Anything else you want to add? I just can't stress enough, like, love that issue. Me too. And it introduces one of the best X-Men. Yes, it does. And I'm excited for her. She's got a long road to travel before she's an X-Men, though. And I'm looking forward to her reintroduction. And if you don't read this, you don't really understand. Like, you know she was bad, and but you don't understand why it was so hard for the X-Men to accept her. And now you do. Like, they're friends with Carol Danvers. Yeah. They become very good friends with her after this. 
and they know how her life has been torn apart by the events that, that take place right before this. Um, so they really got it in for her. I can't wait to get to that issue, man. I know. Oh boy. There's so much good stuff coming. There really is. We're, yeah, we're in for some good stuff. But, uh, should we do a little business before we go? So before we wrap up, I just want to remind everybody, we've got a Twitter account. It's at GXPod. We have a Tumblr. GreatX-Pectations.tumblr.com. Soon it will just be GreatExpectations.com, possibly. Yes. If you feel like it, go to iTunes and leave us a review for our network. Yeah. And if it's just for us, if you want to review just for us or you want to review for the entire network, that's cool, but, but we'd love, love the feedback. feedback. We, we don't really get, get a lot of feedback, and we'd love to hear a little more. Um, but, but iTunes reviews are always helpful for helping spread the word. Um, Make sure you check out the Earth 2 Podcast Network Anthology episode where we will be discussing Uncanny X-Men number 150. And if you haven't been brave enough to try the other shows on the network, that'll be an opportunity for you to get a taste of all of it. So I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully you are too. I am. All right, everybody. That'll do it for this episode. We're glad you joined us, and we will see you next time. Goodbye.
This episode has been brought to you by Cry for the Moon Productions. Cry for the Moon!